one constant through all the years, Ray. The ladies are digging my sweet face. It's the Sexy Voice Show on Beyond the Game. <laughs> Beyond the Game. Beyond the Game. Oh, I hurt them so much. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That's the dumbest thing I could think of. You guys are so young and stupid. No idea who you're talking about. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. That is a career ender. Just like this show. Please clap. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. We would be honored if you would join us. Good morning and thanks for tuning in to the Beyond the Game program. We're certainly glad to have you with us. Beyond the Game is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com. You can call Town & Country at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. I'm Rick Benson and joining me as he usually does is our producer, Zach Barletta. Darren's unable to be with us this week. We invite you to give our website a visit, btgprogram.com. There you'll find a full archive of past broadcasts and guest interviews. You can also support the program by picking up a snappy-looking BTG t-shirt. All proceeds of the t-shirts go to support the program, which, by the way, is primarily listener-supported. You can interact with the show through Twitter, other social media platforms, at btgprogram. Tweet at us and let us know your thoughts, or even call our studio line and leave your thoughts with us that way, 585-431-1202, 585-431-1202, and who knows, maybe we'll even play them on the air. Well, Zach, it's not the Olympic Games, but at least with Copa America going on here in the United States, none of the athletes are at a real risk to be going home with the Zika virus. <laughs> Has this tournament captured your interest at all? No, in fact, I didn't know what it was. I figured Copa Americana was like a flavor of coffee or something. I really, really did. I had no idea what it was. 16 different nations from the Americas competing in 10 U.S. cities in what the Copa people say is the oldest international continental competition. Now, if it's a continental competition, is it necessary to say it's international? Isn't that applied? I would think so. The U.S. lost to Colombia to open the event, but beat Costa Rica, and now later today has a match against Paraguay on the pitch at Lincoln Field in Philadelphia. Normally, we'd call it a field, but I wanted to sound all snooty. <laughs> you leave before I have to get snooty. Snooty? Snotty. Snotty. You know, many people, many soccer people are just that way, too, don't you? You say there is a game, and they'll correct you. You mean a match. Or you say it's a field instead of a pitch, and they look at you as if they feel sorry for you because you're that stupid. <laughs> I think they've come to accept now soccer instead of football, but they don't really like it, but I think they've accepted it. There's some people that they've grown up here in America. They, they played soccer when they were in high school. Suddenly, years later, you talk to them, and they refer to football. You keep using the horse. I don't think it means what you think it means. Everybody's funny. Now you're funny too. <laughs> you would think, though, that soccer people being so uptight in particular about the aspects of the game, what do they call it, the beautiful game? 
Well, then you would think they could get the national anthem right for the teams playing in this stupid tournament. <laughs> At Sunday's Copa uh, match between Uruguay and Mexico, they played Chile's national anthem instead of Uruguay's anthem. And if that weren't enough, Chile had its own anthem messed up the very next day when they played a Pitbull song <laughs> over the Ch- over the national anthem. That would be awesome if that was actually somebody's anthem. I mean, I guess it was no big deal as it seems the Chilean Federation approved a shorter version of the anthem. Now, wait, I, how long is it that there's a shorter approved version of your national anthem? And if it's your national anthem, should there really be a shorter version? That depends because the school that I went to in Florida for college had a like a school anthem that literally was like 18 verses. So if it's something like that, then please, by all means... Cut it's it a down school. Like We're talking about a nation. You know, isn't it unpatriotic to shorten it? What are you just going to... Well, but I mean, if it's really long, do you want to be the country that everybody hates because their anthem is 10 minutes long? No, I suppose. Well, anyway, when the track accidentally continued on to the next song, we've never had that happen here, have we, Zach? No. So when the, the Pitbull track was playing, the Chileans continued singing the fuller version of their <laughs> national anthem. So... By the way, isn't that racist or something, playing Pitbull over the Chilean National Anthem? I, I mean, I don't know why, but for some reason it seems like it should be to me. Like, should I be offended if Pedro's cousins from Napoleon Dynamite had rolled up in that lift car of theirs? <laughs> Just as with Pitbull playing over the stereo system? Dang it. So far, though, I guess attendance hasn't been all they had hoped for, yet some reports have suggested that in, some in the authority... Uh, would like to see it in the United States permanently, or perhaps maybe co-hosted with Mexico, and I guess Canada doesn't even bother. I've always thought the Olympics should be in the United States permanently. I mean, why why do they keep building new facilities in places that can't afford to do that, when in a few years they're going to be abandoned anyway, like Chernobyl? Or like the one they're building this year where people are getting sick. Yeah. Have have you ever seen some of the photos of past Olympic sites which have been abandoned? There's just like yeah, they're haunting. Yeah, they really are. They're kind of creepy looking. The U.S. has the existing facilities. There'd be a lot less of the crazy stuff they're dealing with now in Brazil, or at least perhaps have one one designated site on each continent, maybe that you keep rotating through mm-hmm. and going back rather than continuing to build all these new things. Yeah. For example, I was in Salt Lake City about a year ago. The area where the Olympics were there. I mean, it's been what, 20 years? It's still beautiful. It's thriving. Business is booming there. You could definitely do that. So the Copa games so far have been poorly attended. What a shock. Except for games featuring the United States or Mexico, stadiums have been at best only half filled. Some only being a little over a quarter of seating capacity. I mean, are you surprised that Americans aren't amped up to watch Peru and Uruguay play soccer? I mean, it's not the Olympics. It's not the World Cup. On June 3rd, the opening game for the U.S. against Colombia drew 67,000 people in Santa Clara, which was at, uh, what is that, Levi Stadium out there where the 49ers yeah. play. Mm-hmm. That's good enough for 98%. So the U.S. had a good draw. But the following day in Orlando, Costa Rica versus Paraguay drew just over 17,000 fans, which is under the 30% of that stadium. Mm-hmm. 
In Seattle, which you know, a trendy city filled with flannel shirt wearing hipsters with facial hair all, you know, Seattle's home of the Sounders and considered to be a city which really embraces soccer. Mm-hmm. Haiti versus Peru drew a little over 20,000, or again, about 30% of the stadium. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that Americans aren't going to give a rip about Haiti versus Peru. So if you want to draw a crowd, you probably need to make it fairly affordable. But, oh, no, not mm-hmm. soccer. Being so self-impressed, the cheapest ticket that reports are showing is $58 per ticket. Who's paying 58 bucks to see Peru and Uruguay or Haiti and Paraguay, whatever these nations are? That's the cheapest seat. Add in parking, whatever, if you use Ticketmaster or whatever, the, the broker's fee. Plus, if you buy any food or drink, you're spending a small fortune just for one, let alone a family. I don't know. This doesn't seem very well planned out. Not to mention that some of the game's biggest stars aren't, aren't even here, some because of injuries, some because they're going to the Olympics. These early round games in this tournament, they're probably better off playing them in a, at a college. Yeah. Right? Rather than trying to fill these NFL stadiums. I see. I feel like 20,000 is probably a pretty good crowd for a soccer game, but if you're in a stadium that holds 70,000... Yeah, it looks bad. It yeah. looks bad on TV to see. It's like watching a Yankee game. When you see all those empty seats, you know how much that drives me crazy behind home plate when they show the center field camera. Fenway Park, they're packed out back there, but Yankee Stadium wants to sell the tickets for so much stinking money. Those seats are empty, and it's a terrible look. The Yankees and, and this soccer tournament have the same thing in common. They, they just... They both think people care a lot more than they actually do about a meaningless game. If it's the final game, if it's the postseason, maybe you can amp it up. But for an early round game or for a Yankee game in May, especially when they're not playing well, Mm -hmm. nobody cares. Sticking with soccer for just a little bit longer to, of course, everyone's delight. This is boring. One of the U.S. women national team's bigger rivals The Australian team suffered a bit of an embarrassing loss recently. The Aussie women had beaten Brazil, you might recall, to get to the quarterfinal of last year's World Cup before they lost to Japan. They got shut out 7-0 in a friendly against the Newcastle Jets. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. Yeah, but the Newcastle Jets are an under-15 boys team. (laughs) That escalated quickly. The Matildas, as is their nickname were without a couple of their key players, but they were still fielding a fairly strong lineup and featured a number of their more experienced players. And yet they lost, and lost big to a boys under-15 team. Now, to be fair, the, the, the Matildas often practice against high school-aged boys because there aren't other competitive women's team in Australia for them to play against which is unfortunate for them because that's a no-win situation, isn't it, for them? I mean, if you win, it's like, so what? You beat a a bunch of boys, and if you lose, it becomes national headlines around the world with people laughing at you, which is, I guess, what we're doing. Well, they didn't just lose. They got destroyed. Yeah, they really did. But seriously, this is one of the better women's team in all the world. They should not be taken lightly. This, This loss should probably be compared to like a spring training game. It doesn't matter. And those who were playing the game aren't all that worried about it. They were working on various aspects of their game. They couldn't care less if they won or lost. And we can have a little fun at the Aussie women's team, but I don't think they're listening anyway. But you may remember 
that in 1992, the U.S. Olympic Dream Team, that team that included Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, that same team that, I mean, they just thumped everybody they played. Mm-hmm. Well, they did lose a practice game, 62-54. to 54. They lost to a bunch of college kids. Now, those college kids were Penny Hardaway, Chris Webber, Grant Hill, <laughs> but even so. Still. That's the U.S. Dream Team, and they, they lost a practice game also. Okay, one more football story, but this time we'll talk real football, American football. The Jacksonville Jaguars recently signed wide receiver Alan Hearns to a $40 million contract extension, (laughs) which is a pretty good haul for a guy who was an undrafted free agent, and he parlayed a strong 2015 season. He had over 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns, and he parlayed that into a heavy payday. Well done him. But then consider he not only overcame being undrafted, but he's also allergic to grass. Get off my lawn. (laughs) I'm not talking Willie Nelson grass. We're talking the stuff that is on the field on which he makes his living on. It's a good thing he scores a lot of touchdowns where he's not getting tackled. You got That's like supreme confidence, man. They're not going to tackle me anyway, so I'm signing because the Jaguars' home games are on grass. Most of their road games are on grass. They practice on grass. When he gets tackled, he's tackled onto the grass, most often sliding across it and grinding it against his skin. My man is a professional football player allergic to grass, and he's going to be getting about $20 million guaranteed in this deal he just signed. Talk about an added incentive not to get tackled. I don't want to hit the grass. I'm allergic to it. (laughs) Hearn says he tries to avoid contact with grass by wearing long sleeve shirts and tights. Did I mention he plays for Jacksonville? Jacksonville, Florida. A little warm there. Apparently his condition doesn't affect his breathing, though it does cause his rashes and irritation. He says, sometimes I break out, sometimes I don't. At times it gets pretty aggravating, but for the most part, it's been holding up pretty good. Hasn't affected his play. I guess not. Coming up today on the program, we're going to talk with Misha Morrow. Not only is she the owner of the Missouri Archangels women's basketball team, but she's also the commissioner of the Women's Blue Chip Basketball League, a premier development league for women looking to go pro. And believe me when I tell you, you can hear in her voice the joy she has in Jesus. I really enjoyed talking with Misha. We have that coming up, plus shenanigans, pests of the week. Zach has some useless information, all that and more, today on Beyond the Game, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Title sponsor of Beyond the Game is Town & Country Pest Solutions. Town & Country has been in business for nearly three successful decades. They know how to get the job done. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown. Well, just about any place that you can pick up this radio station is a place Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country technicians are friendly, professional, and most important, knowledgeable. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't? Call Town & Country. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, you name it. Call Town & Country. Even raccoons and larger animals. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions at 585-426-5024 or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. 
I've been telling you about McAfee's remodeling company on this show for a long time. They're family-owned and have been in business for nearly two decades. They're great for all your interior and exterior home remodeling needs, but they also do much more. McAfee's Remodeling is now proud to offer Hydro Garden Construction to help you become more self-sufficient by growing food in your own home year-round. And they are now proud to be offering skylights and light tunnel installation. Light tunnels bring more healthy natural light into your home, allowing you to use less artificial light and save on electricity. So give McAfee's Remodeling a call at 585-402-1070. That's 585-402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Misha Morrow is the league commissioner of the Women's Blue Chip Basketball League, which is the premier development league for professional women's basketball and has seen a number of players sign pro contracts. Misha, welcome to the program and thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. My guess is there's nobody more passionate about the WBCBL than you are. So can you take a few minutes and tell our listeners a bit about the league and some of its history? Absolutely. Well, I would say that the owner of the league, Mr. Willie McCray out of Texas, is definitely more passionate about it than I am. But the league has been around for around 12 years, um, started in Texas with the owner again, with Mr. McCray. And uh, the mission of the league is to provide a platform for women who have finished their collegiate careers an opportunity to be able to continue to play the game that they love, as well as have an opportunity to be seen to possibly go and play professional basketball. We have 30-plus teams across the country, uh, and there are several divisions, um, and we've had somewhere around about 200-plus um, people that have gone on to get professional jobs uh, within the sports industry overall. Do I understand it correctly that you you also own one of the franchises, the Missouri Archangels? Yes, absolutely. Um, we are the Archangels Women's Pro Development Basketball Team, and uh, we're celebrating our fifth year here in St. Louis. And I'm so thankful and grateful for that opportunity. And uh, I, I couldn't be here or do what I do except that, you know, Jesus ordained that I should uh, I should be here. Do you consider yourself a bit of a trailblazer? I mean, being a woman in sports who is not only a team owner, but also a league commissioner? I don't know about that, Rick. I wouldn't say that I'm a trailblazer. I think what I would say about myself is that I'm a woman that loves Jesus, and uh, and I want to please and honor him. And so whatever it is that he's asking me to do, uh, I want to spend my life doing it. And uh, he's given me this game as a gift. And I'm so appreciative of it. I love it. And I plan on spending my life in it. And so I just want to use this platform that he's given me as a means to share the love of Jesus Christ and impact the lives of people for good. That's what I would say about myself. I don't know about Trailblazer. (laughs) We're talking with Misha Morrow. She's the league commissioner of the Women's Blue Chip Basketball League. You can follow the league on Twitter at WBCBL or visit their website wbcbl.com. The regular season is May through August, so if a young woman wants to play while they're still in college, Misha, it seems that they'd be able to do that. 
the the league is, is it primarily focused on gaining exposure for the for girls who would like to pursue a professional career? It is, and the only women that can play uh, while they're still playing collegiately are the women that play in the NAIA league. In the NCAA, uh, that is forbidden. They would forego their amateur status, so they cannot play as collegiate players. They have to complete their total uh, eligibility as an amateur within the NCAA organization. And so, yes, it definitely is a league that is designed to give exposure for those women who, who want to pursue careers uh, in professional basketball. In your opinion, and this is probably difficult for you to pick just one, but who would you say is the single greatest player ever in women's basketball, and who is the greatest player today if they're not the same person? Well, yeah, that definitely is hard, Rick. I don't, I don't, I can't say there is one particular uh, female that I would say is the greatest player. I mean, there there have been a lot of great players. Uh, Lynette Woodard is one who played at the University of Kansas and was the first female Harlem Globe trotter. Uh, you had Cynthia Cooper, Swirl Swoops, Cheryl Swoops. Uh, all of those are great players of times of old. Um, current great players, of course, is uh, Tamika Catchings. Um, if you want to say that she's uh, uh, in, in probably the top five great players, uh, you can say that because she's won championships from high school um, to college um, to professionally and Olympics. So she is a rare um, professional female athlete that has had the opportunity to win championships on all those levels. Then you have Maya Moore, you know, uh, Diana Taurasi, Candace Parker. So you have a whole slew of women who are great female basketball athletes. So I, I couldn't just pick one. <laughs> you know, I was looking at the league's website, uh, wbcbl.com, and I see that Romans 10.9 is prominently displayed there. What role does faith and or the Word of God have in the league? Well, faith is how the league got started and how it is sustained. Um, the owner is a believer, a lovely man of God, and uh, is firm in his faith in Jesus. And he per- perpetuates, you know, that on everything that he does. You know, everything he writes, all his emails, everything has that scripture. And so his goal is to win souls through Jesus using basketball as a platform do so. And so uh, for him and for those of us that are believers within the league, you know, that's what we are setting forth to do. Once again, we're talking with Misha Morrow. She's the league commissioner of the Women's Blue Chip Basketball League. Now, I understand you mentioned you're a believer in Christ, and you got to share the gospel, or you get to share the gospel on occasions at Archangel's home games. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that opportunity came about? Absolutely. Well, this year, um, before our season started, I felt like the Lord was leading me to preach the gospel after our game. And, um, of course, that's a little unorthodox. I have personally never seen anybody preach the gospel after a sporting event. You know, I've seen testimonies given. I've seen gospel concerts, you know, happen after the event. But I'm not aware, and I could just be sheltered. And so... But uh, but I felt, you know, I felt like, okay, God, you're asking this of me, and I, I want to obey you. I want to do exactly what you are telling me to do. And so, you know, God kind of formatted it out for me. He said, you know, just take seven minutes. 
take seven minutes and declare the word of God to the people who whosoever will, you know, that's listening. Because I was asking God, I was like, God, how do you do that? You know, how do you move and facilitate through the end of the game, people shaking hands, fans getting out of the stands and getting ready to go, you know, because I didn't know what that looked like. And so, um, so my pastor told me, she said, um, she said, God will make a way. She said, just do, you know, what it is that he's asking you to do it and God will make a way. And so lo and behold, you know, I just would put like a few minutes on the clock, uh, and we would announce throughout the game as it's occurring, the announcer would announce that, you know, after the game, we're going to show our faith, you know, and tell you about the love of Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to listen to it, just stick around. And so, you know, some fans stuck around. They they actually stayed around. Like, wow, God, this is this is wow. pretty impressive. You know, there are a few people to stay around um, that listen, and there are some that are standing and talking, but they didn't exit the gym, Rick. That's they so did not cool. leave the gym. Not all, not all the fans left the gym. That's outstanding. And, uh, what's the, what's yeah, been the response to that? Uh, have fans been excited to hear it? Have they uh, have they come to Christ as a result? Well, it's brand new. We, you know, we have people that I'm sure that is looking at me like I am totally out of my mind, <laughs> and I would agree, trying to gain the mind of Christ. <laughs> and uh, um, and they have just listened, and they they don't respond. Uh, the first two times, um, nobody really responded. Um, the last game, which was last last Saturday, I actually had my coach tell um, keep our team on the bench, and I told the visiting team, which was from Arkansas. I told him that, you know, hey, we're going to take a few minutes after the game and preach the gospel. So if you guys like to stick around uh, immediately following the game, you know, you're welcome to do so. And so they stuck around. And, um, you know, and I delivered the word of the Lord and uh, asked anybody, you know, of course, if they wanted to get their lives to Jesus or if they wanted prayer. And so um, three of my team, uh, uh, my players on my team came uh, for prayer. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I was just, I was just in awe of God because I hadn't, you know, that was God that said, tell the team to stick around because we hadn't done that before. And so to see them, you know, running up, actually one of the players was like, you know, hey, y'all, come on up here. You know, we need prayer, <laughs> you know, and uh, and it kind of blew me away. And I was like, wow, God, this is um, this is pretty amazing, you know. And uh, so I asked them, you know, what is it you want prayer for? And they were, they were, they said to me, one of the players said to me, you know, hey, you know, sometimes it's hard trying to, stay on the right path and we want prayer for that and it just blessed my soul rick and i you know we pray for him you know and hug them and uh and i was like wow god you know that's a that's a tremendous blessing you know because you know and the reality of it you know just probably me lacking faith i didn't think that anybody ever you know ever in you know any short period of time would respond because again that's you know what do you see that at you know who's going to walk down and not that we have a ton of people in a gym, but still, it's a gym. It's a big place, you know, and there's people in there, people that you don't know. And a lot of times people are fearful about what other people are thinking about them. And so for somebody to walk forward um, takes a lot of courage. Sure. And uh, and then I saw that and I, I was like, wow, okay, bless your name, Lord. You know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. want to follow you. <laughs> what a testimony to do that. What about you? Can you share the circumstances where you first responded to the call of Christ and received him as Savior? Absolutely. Uh, I was blessed to get a full ride to the University of Kansas for women's basketball. And um, in my senior year, and, and let me let me uh, back, 
facts up a little bit. You know, I wasn't raised in a church. Uh, I was raised uh, where we went to church, like on on Easter and Mother Mother's Day and things of that nature. So I usually was at home sleeping real late on Sundays and then waking up, waking up watching cowboys and Indians. And uh, I asked my mom about that, and she said, you know, when she was a little girl, she was forced to go to church. So when she got old, she determined she wasn't going to, you know, she was going to go when she felt like it, and she wasn't going to make her kid go. Now, I don't agree with that philosophy at all as a believer in Christ, but that's what she told me. And so uh, I was on campus one day. I was coming back from classes, and I was headed to the dormitory. And I don't know, you know, what organization was out there, Rick, but they were handing out those little um, little New Testament Bibles, you know, those little small ones that they hand oh, yeah. to you. Yep. And I, yeah, I grabbed one of those. And as I walked away, I looked up into the sky and I said, Lord, I know to serve you is right. I said, but I don't have time right now. As soon as I finish up, you know, with my my college plan days and um, and graduate, then I'll give my life to you. Now, I'm so thankful that God is gracious and merciful because God knew that I was sincere in my heart when I said that. And he allowed my ignorance, you know, he winked at it. You know, he allowed me to uh, live out my days to honor my my commitment that I had given to him at that moment. And so once I graduated that year and finished up, you know, playing basketball, I had given my life. I went to church, um, the the uh, the, ch- the uh, chaplain of the football team. I had a Baptist church there in town, and I had met him and talked with him on a couple of different occasions, went to his church, and walked down the aisle and gave my life to Jesus. From that moment on, I began to read my Bible, and and, and I know this is all just God, because, you know, nobody just looks up in the sky and say, you know, God, I know you're real, and the serve you is right, and then they believe that the Word of God is the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, and that it's infallible. You know, I mean, I don't know too many people just have a hardcore belief like that not knowing God, and I did. So I know that that's something that God did. And so I began to read my Bible, and I have read it ever since. And that was back in 1988, in the fall of 1988. And so I just love the Word of God. Uh, I am so thankful and grateful that He left us an instruction manual, a love manual that allows us to get to know who He is and how much He loves us and how much He cares for us and all the things that He does for us for and to us and how he protects us and watches over us and just allow us to become intimate with him and to know him in a real and true and living way. And so I'm thankful for that, you know, and uh, and I just lived out my, you know, my days long to be led in God by the spirit of, of the Lord, you know, and, and knowing what he said and to know who he is and to know him face to face, you know, kind of like how Moses knew him as a friend. I just want to be like that. Um, with God. And so, you know, that's that's my testimony, Rick. Mm, and you're blessed to be able to serve him in the game of basketball. What a oh, God is a wonderful oh, God, isn't he? He 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 is, you know, he um he he um he is so smart, much smarter than we are. You know? <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, when you think about the wisdom of God it really just kind of um blows you away, you know, uh, truly his ways are not our ways, you know, and, uh, but we can get to know his ways. And, uh, and that's what I love about him is that he wants to draw us in so that we can get to know him uh, as a loving father. And we don't have to be strangers or we don't have to guess or we don't have to assume or, you know, or he's not a guy, as the scripture says, that's a far off, you know, he's a 
God that left his throne to walk on the earth as a human to show us how to live out a godly life and how to live it in demonstration and in power like Jesus Christ. And so, you know, he, he, he's awesome. Sounds like you got a lot on your plate. How can we pray for you? Well, awesome. Thank you. I do. <laughs> um, pray for me, and, um, the Archangels basketball team, uh, and pray for the league, the Women's Blue Tip Basketball League. Um, you know, that we fail not, that we falter uh, in the middle of the storms. You know, I feel like um, this is our fifth year again celebrating uh, being in a league, and it's surely and truly 100% um, by the grace and mercy of God, Rick, because I'm just an am- amateur trying to learn how to go pro. And so, you know, being a novice, you make a whole bunch of mistakes, and I have. But at the same time in this year in committing to preach the gospel, you know, um, there are some storms that have come um, that I really didn't anticipate. You know, you know that things are going to happen, but you don't know what they are until they happen. And so there's been some internal struggles that we've had with our players and uh, and coaching. And uh, we've lost for five years uh, in a row, and that's very hard on me. Um, because I, as a player, I won, and I won big, and I won all the time. And so it's very hard um, to be on the opposite end of that, of losing. But I also know that there is some humility and there's a tremendous amount of uh, learning that is occurring um, through the humility. And so that's pressure for me, you know, as a person that's won and as a person that likes to win, as a person that knows that we win in Jesus. And uh, and then, of course, there's the financial burden. Uh, we don't have any sponsors. Um, we don't have any uh, real uh, donors. And so my prayer is, uh, that my, my, my request is that you guys will pray, you know, that I don't falter and that we don't falter um, in the adversity of the storm. You know, God says don't despise small beginnings, and we're still in our small beginnings, but that I hold on to the word of God and the call of God, and that I would persevere through the struggle until God leads us, leads us into prosperity and unto victory. And so that's my prayer, as well as that, you know, if people feel led, they hear my voice, you know, that says, hey, I hear her, you know, she's trying to win souls, and she's trying to live this thing out and, and use this platform uh, for Jesus Christ, and I'd like to contribute to that. Well, we need financial uh, contributions, and so if there's anyone that, you know, feel led to do that, you know, we gladly accept that. Um, and so those are the things that I would pray. Uh, that I will ask for prayer for, you know, that uh, that I faint not. Michelle, and that we win souls. I'm sorry, let me add that. The number one thing, Rick, is yeah. for souls to be saved. And that's my number one mission, that souls be saved. I'm sorry. Well, praise the Lord. I, Misha, I appreciate you coming on with us, and I want to thank you for all that you do for the cause of Christ. Well, Rick, again, I thank you for the opportunity. It's such a, a blessing. You know, I don't I don't take these things for granted, and... Uh, I, 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 I really don't even know, you know, um, why God chose me to uh, to present me and put me on platforms such as yours. But it's such an honor, and I don't take it lightly. And so I'm I'm very gracious for the opportunity to come before you, uh, those that you represent, um, the church, you know, and and the body of Christ. So thank you so very much. No, it's our pleasure to have you on. We've been talking with Misha Mora. She's the Commissioner of the Women's Blue Chip Basketball League, and she's also owner of the Missouri Archangels. You can follow the league on Twitter at WBCBL or visit their website, WBCBL.com. Zach, is I'm, if I'm not mistaken, was that our first female interview? I think it was. 
I feel like we must be a bunch of chauvinists here or something. <laughs> but she she was great. We got to have more women on our show. Absolutely. It's nice to have a fresh voice. You're listening to Beyond the Game. Coming up after the break, we'll have shenanigans. This is Beyond the Game brought to you by Town & Country. Pest Solutions. Your floors are under attack from overwatered plants to overflowing dog bowls. But the Home Depot has new water-resistant Pergo Outlast Plus laminate flooring starting at just $279 a square foot. So you and your floors get to fight back with 24-hour spill protection that stands up to liquids for a whole day without causing damage. The next generation of laminate flooring is Pergo Outlast Plus, starting at just $279 a square foot. Exclusively from the Home Depot. More saving. More doing. U.S. only. Progressive presents Mindflowness with Flow. Your aura brims with confidence. The Name Your Price tool has given you policy options based on your budget. A source of great power rises from within, like a Tyrannosaurus Rex that can shoot dragons out of its eyes, riding on a tank. Get insurance based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Barry Bonds never took steroids. It's a faith-based sports radio program. Don't ruin it by being an idiot. Highlighting the stories and the people of faith. Have a high moral standard. It's not a faith program that includes sports. It's a sports talk show rooted in faith-based principles. How silly can you get? You want to heckle blind people? That would make me soil my pants. Dude, wow. Welcome back to the show, recording in the BTG studios in Rochester, New York. Here is your host, Rick Benson. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. Benson and Barletta here with you. Zach, give me your first shenanigans statement. San Francisco Giants pitcher Madison Bumgarner said this week that he'd like to compete in next month's home run derby. Truth or shenanigans, you'd like to see a pitcher in the home run derby. I actually agree. Maybe a separate category, but, I mean, include two pitchers in the group and give them the Babe Ruth Award or something. After all, he was the best power-hitting pitcher ever, right? Isn't the contest a little stale anyway? I think it'd be fun to see a couple pitchers thrown in the mix. I disagree. I think it would be fun, but I just think a pitcher would probably get hurt because that's just not something that a pitcher does on a regular basis is swing for the fences like that. I'd rather not see him get hurt. Well, I think Madison Baumgartner does. <laughs> well, maybe he does, true. The Washington Nationals sent prize junk shortstop Trey Turner back to AAA when Ryan Zimmerman returned from paternity leave, despite the fact that Turner is clearly better than incumbent shortstop Danny Espinosa. Recent reports stated that Espinosa is a close friend of Bryce Harper and that Dusty Baker doesn't want to upset the balance of the clubhouse. Truth or shenanigans, clubhouse chemistry is an acceptable reason for keeping an inferior player in the lineup. Ooh, that's that's tricky. Tricky. It's tricky, 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 tricky. I'm going to say shenanigans. Without a doubt, though, clubhouse chemistry is important. We've seen teams with great chemistry and perhaps not as much talent win, and then other teams loaded with talent but lacking chemistry lose. Ultimately, though, you need to put your best lineup on the field, play the guys that give your team the best chance to win, and additionally, eventually it would create animosity to keep playing an inferior player. It'll breed all kinds of accusations of favoritism. Uh, I agree with you. I, I, I call shenanigans. I think 
at the end of the day, the goal is to win, not to be friends with your players. And I think you have to have the best player on the field. At Trey Turner, he got called up for three days for the for Zimmerman's paternity leave. He played the first game, went three for three, and walked, and then promptly was not played the second two games and then sent back down. You, he's got nothing left to prove in the minors. He's been good in his brief time in the majors. You have to play him. The man's sticking it to him. And that's unfortunately Dusty Baker's reputation is that he doesn't play young players and he ruins pitchers. So nice job, uh, Washington. The Cleveland Indians can hang on to their lead in the AL Central and win the division. Why don't you go first? What do you think? I think they can because their pitching is just so good. We saw the Mets ride that last year all the way into the World Series. And uh, for a month or so, they didn't even have Carlos Carrasco, their their second best pitcher. He's back. He's healthy. He looks good. And they have a lot of rookie bats that are just about yeah. ready to come up for the minors. So my money's on the Indians. Yeah, they, they absolutely can. They have terrific pitching. And as you said, a lot of good young players. And I think the Royals are very good. Detroit's playing better than I had anticipated, but I like the Indians. Both you and I picked them back on our April 9th show to win this division, and I see no reason to backpedal on that now. We look pretty smart, right? In that one area. Sticking with Cleveland, the Cavaliers are toast in the finals without Kevin Love. Uh, I think after the show the other night, I I (laughs) don't know. Absolutely. I Shenanigans, they are not toast. I'm going to agree just because this is kind of playing out how last year's played out without where he was injured. And we've already seen them play the Warriors without Kevin Love once. I'm just going to say the same thing as last year happens again. Yeah, but I, I don't think it's because of Kevin Love. I don't think the Cavaliers need Kevin Love to win or lose. I don't think he makes a difference in this series. The New York Yankees weren't a great team even before Mark Teixeira got hurt. Now that they're stuck playing Rob Refsnyder at first base for the first time in his career, it's time for the Yankees to start working on trading away older players and thinking about next year. I agree. The Yankees never seem to wave the white flag or use the word rebuilding, but let's be real. It's not happening. The rest of the division, and yes, maybe even the Tampa Bay Rays are, are better built teams. Yankees are stuck with some very unfavorable contracts, and they're limited to what they can do. Um, I actually think they've been sort of waiting out these contracts the last couple of years without actually saying that. They are well-positioned to be sellers. I think they should do so and, and don't even hesitate. But because they're the Yankees, I also think that other teams hesitate to give them too much. It seems as if they always want more from the Yankees than they would anybody else. And that's true. Um, I mostly agree with the statement. I don't think you, you can do a full-scale rebuild just because you are the Yankees. But they've, for a couple of years now, sort of been rebuilding on the fly, picking up young players that can Without play saying right away. That. Exactly, yeah. And I don't think you need a complete rebuild. There's some pieces there to build oh, yeah. around. And some young pieces on the way. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, knock on wood, Greg Bird comes back healthy. He'll be a big part of that. But guys like Beltran, who's an expiring contract and really should be a DH, He'll be a great piece you can move. Those three late-inning bullpen guys. We saw what uh, what the Phillies got for Ken Giles. The Yankees could really beef up the farm system yeah, there. So I say 100% trade who you can. I can't think of a year like this where the Yankees have been in such a position, one, to be sellers, but then to have so many pieces to sell. Yeah. 21 years ago, Tom Brady was drafted by the Montreal Expos. Truth or shenanigans, if he'd signed and become a pro baseball player, there would never have been a Patriots dynasty without him. 
What's your thought, Mr. Bills fan? My thought is there would have been one. It just probably wouldn't have been as long because they would still have had Bill Belichick. And don't forget, they would have still had Drew Bledsoe as well, who was a pretty good quarterback in his time. So I think uh, Belichick finds a way to win with Drew Bledsoe, drafts a guy like he always does. I think the Patriots still would have been fine. I just don't think it would have lasted this long. And I agree. I call shenanigans on the statement. I I never knew Brady was drafted by the Expos. I, until you said that, I, ne- I never knew It was that. something I learned this week as all the, the trivia was coming out because the Major League draft was this week, and it was something that I saw on Twitter, and I thought you'd appreciate it. I mean, the reality is that the Patriots struck gold. He's a six-round pick. has turned out to be an amazing selection by New England, but no doubt they probably uh, they would have gotten another quarterback. Uh, they wouldn't have gotten a quarterback like him, but they would have gotten somebody. You know, over the years we've seen him release – great players, star players, and be just fine. Belichick is, uh, him and that system have proven to be a winning formula, and they'd have had somebody. I agree with you. Maybe it wouldn't have been as long, but uh, I still think they would have been successful. You have a lot of useless information in your head. It's as useless as the Winter Olympics. You are useless, Ignacio. It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. Benson, everybody knows the 2016 Minnesota Twins are bad at baseball, but here's something to help you appreciate just how terrible they really are. Tampa Bay's Logan Morrison entered last week's four-game series versus the Twins with only three home runs on the season, and he left that series with seven. Morrison became the fourth player this season to homer in three straight games against the Twins, <laughs> joining Jose Batista, Evan Longoria, and Ian Kinsler. We're, what, a third of the way through the season, and already four different players have homered in three straight games against the Twins. Yeah, that doesn't say much for your pitching. I, I suppose it's a lot of that is coincidence, but, oh, man, that doesn't look good. The National Basketball Referees Association has asked the NBA to stop releasing its last two-minute reports. In a statement released Tuesday, they claim the NBA's efforts to, quote, promote so-called transparency will cause more harm than good for the officials in the game. They continue by saying transparency does nothing to change the outcome of the game. Transparency encourages anger and hostility towards NBA officials. League Commissioner Adam Silver, however, is adamant about sticking with the policy as a way to be transparent with viewers and reporters. I guess he feels pressure to do so, especially at this time where there seems to be renewed accusations that in many instances, not only are the games fixed, but the league is sort of scripted. An NBA spokesman responded in a statement by saying, We understand the referee union's desire to protect its members, but the fact is that in today's world, transparency is necessary for any organization. The NBA is no different, and we are committing to protecting the integrity of our game. If you're not familiar, the last two-minute reports, or what the league calls the L2Ms, these review the officials' calls, uh, their fouls, their rulings, uh, both the ones that were accurate and the ones that were inaccurate in those games that are within five minutes, or, or excuse me, are within five points and at the two-minute mark until the end of the game. So it's it's the last two minutes of the game. Regardless of what the reports do reveal, the outcome of those games, of course, doesn't change. So if the game was if they found something was blatantly wrong or inaccurate or called incorrectly, they're not going to change the outcome of the game. This is a tricky one. 
The transparency is a good thing. Being above reproach and acknowledging when a mistake was made in an effort to improve and not continue making those mistakes. But it doesn't seem to me that it needs to be made public because I think the refs are right. It's only going to breed contempt. I have to think that many times, perhaps a minor mistake may have taken place and uh, few people would have noticed, but now here's the league bringing it up and in fact pointing it out. Why would you do that? This isn't a situation where perhaps I've sinned against someone personally and I need to go to them and maybe confess my sin or, or definitely confess my sin and apologize to them. This is not that situation. It's a call in a basketball game that may have had no adverse effect on the game at all. So why bring it up if it isn't an issue? Mistakes happen. It's a fact of life. By releasing these reports publicly, the NBA almost seems to be suggesting that not only is perfection possible, but that it's the expectation. In fact, perfection is not obtainable. We strive for it as best we can. We can certainly hope to avoid them in key situations, but the reality is mistakes are going to happen. Is it really necessary to go around and publicize them? Working in sports ministry and being a sports fan, I find myself at a lot of recreational basketball games, high school basketball games, countless times a foul is not called, or perhaps it is called, whichever the case may be, and the fans, they're immediately all over the refs. And when a coach allows a player to be animated on the court or, or, or to say something, it only serves to instigate the fans because, of course, their child couldn't have committed a foul. The truth is, and especially in youth basketball, if every infraction were to be called, the game would be unwatchable. Play would be stopped constantly. The clock would take forever to wind down. And I say especially at youth levels because kids, even high school players, are still learning how to control their bodies, bodies which are changing as they grow. They can't float like Dr. J used to do. They can't twist and turn and still get a shot off like Michael Jordan used to do. They run right into and through people. Refs are put into the unfavorable position of having to call the most gregarious fouls and live with the abuse from people when they don't call something which might be considered ticky-tacky. The fact is, if you call or don't call, whatever the case may be, one side is going to be happy, the other side isn't. Refereeing is a no-win situation. As it is, I personally think they need to change the rules for the last three minutes of a basketball game anyway. The strategy of fouling intentionally to stop the clock makes the game brutal to watch at times. I think within the last three minutes, or you said the last two minutes, last four minutes, whatever, if you foul, then it should be three free throws instead of two within the last two or three minutes. Force a team to think about how important it is to them to stop the clock. Because I'd rather see the game take down. It's unwatchable at times. This hack-a-shack, you know, or, or type of philosophy just to stop the clock. I, I understand the strategy. I'm just saying it ruins the game. By the way, does anybody know who puts these L2M reports together for the league? Do any of these people have biases, perhaps, against the refs? I, I see where the refs are coming from by not wanting these released publicly. You could do the reports. Just handle it in-house. And why is it the last two minutes only? Why not the last three minutes? Doesn't the rest of the game matter? I get it. I know the last few minutes of a game, especially a close game, are critical. 
But a blown call or two in the first few minutes of the game can affect the game just as much as the last few minutes. If getting as close to perfection is your goal, then have a qualified person review the entire game, but discuss it internally, if, and only if necessary. You don't have to repeat, uh, release it publicly, and you don't have to discuss every little issue. They're going to make mistakes. You're going to have to live with a certain number of mistakes. Be prepared, I suppose, to discuss it publicly if it becomes an issue, but don't go looking for trouble or creating that issue. In your workplace, what if someone reviewed all those things you did well, but also the things you messed up and, and, and provided a report to the, re- to the public? Maybe there's a website somewhere where a prospective employer can go and look you up or your friends can go and look you up or your wife can go and look you up and see what kind of fool she's married to. If there are issues, aren't those best handled internally? Obviously, if there's an issue which affects others, maybe outside of your place employment, then yes, you can handle those a bit more publicly. But what what's the old adage? Private sins should be handled privately among those individuals, but public sins should be handled publicly? As a church staff member, if I had an affair, I would expect my termination would be handled tactfully, but also rather publicly. They would have to make some sort of comment um, that they handled the situation. It would be good for people to see that while the church loves me, while it cares for me, it is not abandoning me, but it is also handling the situation and taking appropriate measures. It is open and transparent so there can be no accusations of sweeping it under the rug. Or what about those things you do privately when no one else is watching? What if all those things were brought up for review? For me, like for most people, there'd be a great humiliation as people see us for who we really are. Well, one day we will give an account for everything we've thought or done. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that will not be known. The Bible says in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 3, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The Bible's talking about Judgment Day. One day we will stand before God and give an account for those things which nobody may know about. The question then becomes, who's accountable for the cost of those things? Are you going to try and pay for those things yourself? And I'm not talking about the embarrassing, goofy things people do when no one else is around, but the dirty, sinful things. Will you be held accountable, or have you confessed them to God and sought forgiveness? allowing the price of your sins to be crucified with Christ at the cross of Calvary. Jesus died there for that very purpose, to pay for your sins and mine. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in him? Jesus lived a transparent life. His goal is that people would see God the Father through him. If Christians truly want to serve Christ, they will live in this very same way, desiring that unbelievers would see God through them. When people look at a Christian, they should see Christ. They should see God. They should not see dirty little secrets just waiting to be uncovered. 
Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus encourages us not to hide our light, but to let it shine before all men. He calls us not to live a life of hypocrisy, trying to cover up our sin and our problems as, as though we haven't any. We should deal with our baggage, deal with it quickly, deal with it openly. If we confess our sins to one another and pray over them, the devil is powerless to use it against us. There could be no gossip. There can be no misunderstandings if you're open about your sinful situations. Confessed sin sets one free. Transparency involves honesty and it involves humility. It's motivated to glorify God and bring him honor. And Jesus lived his life in such a way that we can see the Father as we look through him. My prayer would be that you would see Jesus when you look at me, and that I would see him when I look at you. And for my part, to be honest, I've got some work to do. Maybe you thought that all Christians were hypocrites, all Christians are judgmental. Well, I am a Christian, and I can tell you that they're sinful. Christians are sinful people. It's just that they've taken their sin to God for forgiveness. I do hope that you you would see Jesus as you listen to us on this show. I hope that you can feel him reaching out to you, and I hope that you respond. Whether you're a believer who is holding on to unconfessed sin or perhaps an unbeliever who needs to come to Jesus for the very first time. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Do you hear his voice today? Are you ready to let him into your life? If you want more information, you can go to our website, btgprogram.com. You can email me here at the show. I'd love to pray for you. Once again, our website is btgprogram.com. You can also call our studio line, 585-431-1202. Beyond the Game is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. We apologize. We are up against it. So, Zach, why don't you give me real quick your pest of the week? It's Kansas City Royals pitcher Jordano Ventura, who threw at Manny Machado last week and started a brawl. It's not the first time. He did it a couple times last year that started some fights. He's got to grow up and stop throwing it, dude. He's a little guy. He's my pest of the week. Although he should be allowed to pitch inside, so I've got to, I should have went with Manny Machado, but I am going to go with former NBA player Gilbert Arenas, probably best known for his time with the Washington Wizards, Agent Zero, who has been known for guns in the locker room, lawsuits against his ex as well as others, a video in which he F-bombs his kids, almost seems to intentionally be insensitive to get a response and garner some sort of attention. Did you eat a lot of paint chips when you were a kid? Prior to Game 3 of the NBA Finals, Arenas went off again, sifting through his profanity-laced idiocy, said that Kevin Love should wear, quote, wear one of those retard helmets. Come on, son! This guy, uh, as if he hasn't shown himself to be foolish enough, those kind of comments are hurtful, stupid, and completely unnecessary. The guy's a former all-star point guard. Conduct yourself with a little dignity and respect instead of acting such a loser. Let's hope that his cousin Javier, a cornerback who signed with the Buffalo Bills earlier this year, has just a little bit more class. Gilbert Arenas is my pest of the week. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Game. Beyond the Game has been brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com. 
You can give them a call 585-426-5024. Tell them Benson sent you. For Zach, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at the same time. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you.